from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us now prepare our hearts for the worship of God. Good morning. My name is Jeff Nykirk, and I'm currently serving on session here at First Presbyterian. Please join me in this morning's call to worship. The Lord is in this place. We are here to taste and see that God is good. God is good, and God's steadfast love and mercy never ceases. We come now to worship our God. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. You can find it on page 70 in the New Testament of your Bible. Listen for how God may be speaking to you through God's holy word this morning. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you. And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we need a fresh word. We need you to speak. We know we need to listen. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you break open 
your sacred story to us in a way that brings comfort, that brings challenge, that brings formation, so that those gathered in this hour may be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I was told about five years ago, John Bogle actually spoke here at the church. He was the founder and former CEO of the Vanguard Group. In his 2010 book, he, he wrote a story about authors Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller. These two friends and two notable writers were attending a party on Swanky Shelter Island in New York, hosted by a billionaire hedge fund manager. Vonnegut turned to Heller at one point during the night and said, do you know that our host has made more money in one single day than you will make, Joe, in your entire lifetime from all the royalties from your book, Catch-22? Heller responded, yes, I, I do not know that. But Kurt, I, I have something our host will never have. What on earth could that be, Joe? asked Vonnegut. Heller said, the knowledge that I have enough. Enough. How do you define enough? In your own life, how do you measure sufficiency or abundance? For some of us, the pace of life we keep offers us little time to reflect on these questions, and so we just haven't thought about it. The hamster wheel is turning and turning and turning, and we have not taken stock or sought to gain any perspective on the meaning of enough. For others, our insatiable appetite for more, more power, more money, more prestige, more success, more safety, more security, more satisfaction, more luxury experiences, more you fill in the blank, has us convinced that these questions are irrelevant because there is no such thing as enough. Of course, we would never admit that to our family or our friends or our coworkers or the folk we go to church with, lest we seem greedy or ungrateful or even materialistic. Even so, our priorities, our schedules, our bank and credit card statements, they tell a different story. What is enough? What is enough? If you're someone who hasn't thought about it, or are someone that believes that there is no such thing as enough, then this morning's parable is for you, even as it is for me, and as we will see from a different angle in just a moment, even as it is for the church, the body of Christ. Before we get to the parable, we actually have to go through 
a proverb. This is unusual in Jesus' parables that we'd have to take a road marked by a proverb before we get to the story, but indeed we do. My friend Christopher Edmonston, who's the pastor at the White Memorial Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, makes the point that Jesus does not often speak in Proverbs. So when he does, we should pay special attention. Jesus offers this proverb. Take care, he says. Be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And at core, this proverb is about the notion or the concept of enough. You see, the word we translate to the word greed, it's located in this line from Jesus, be on guard against all kinds of greed. This word is the Greek word pleonexia. And in a classical way, it means that one can never be filled. They can never be full. They can never be satisfied. In other words, pleonexia is a spiritual disorder that convinces us that there is no such thing as enough. Jesus brings the proverb to life through a parable. He tells where a rich man's land produced what Jesus calls an abundance of crops. Presumably, the rich landowner possesses pleonexia, and this pleonexus man is presented with a dilemma. He does not have enough room in his barn to house the size of this great yield. So what is he to do? He decides that the best course of action is to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. He says to himself, I will do this. I will, I will put, pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Everything's fine. There's a good bit of irony in this line. For one who possesses pleonexia can never really relax, despite what they tell themselves. They will never be satisfied, despite what they tell themselves. At some point, the disorder pushes them to build another barn, and another barn, and another barn after that. But God declares you fool. Don't you know that your life is now demanded of you? And this stuff, whose will it be? Jesus closes the parable with another piece of proverbial wisdom. So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Now, scholars will tell us that this parable has similarities with other ancient wisdom with other ancient stories that juxtapose the collection of earthly goods with the inevitability and inescapability of death. The wisdom literature of the ancient world was not unaware of the fact that you cannot take it with you. There is nothing novel or new in Jesus' words at that point. What is new, what is novel, is the way in which Jesus talks about being rich toward God. The Greek word pluton is a verb in this line 
that means to be wealthy or have an abundance of something. Our tradition has principally interpreted this text in a very consistent way by posing this question. Is our life going to be about the abundance of possessions or is our life going to be about an abundant relationship with God and our neighbor and ourselves? Will we trust in our wealth or will we trust in God? When one is plagued with pleonexia, when one believes there is no such thing as enough, then one is prone not to trust in God because God is not enough for that person. God is not enough to satisfy us. The treasure of the faithful, however, is that God is in fact enough. God's love is enough. God's provisions are enough. God's promises are enough. Despite our confession of such things each and every Sunday, there are still many of us plagued by pleonexia, this inability to be satisfied, this inability to be full, this inability to understand the meaning of enough. We may say it, but we fail to live as if God is enough, as if God's provisions are enough, as if God's mercy and grace are enough. We fail to live as if God's gospel of reconciliation and peace are enough. We fail to live as if Jesus' death on the cross and his victory over death in resurrection are enough. Pleonexia just might be the prevailing sin of our age, and it's not just in our materialism that we see this thing. This sin and this spiritual disorder gives rise to expressions of violence and bigotry, of racism and revenge, of broken relationships, of exclusion, right? Because we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied. We prove this time and time again when we don't know the meaning of enough in our personal lives, when we don't know the meaning of enough in our personal lives, when our individual lives are about the business of building bigger barns to store whatever it is we go in search of, we actually lose our moral competency in the larger society. When we don't know how to say enough is enough in our personal lives, we don't know how to say it corporately or communally. For example, it seems that my people group has not been satisfied with the shame and oppression we have already levied against African Americans for hundreds of years. So our society incarcerates them and undereducates them at alarming rates. We are suspicious of them, my people group is, at every turn. We have even witnessed some police officers killing them in cold blood. Do we even know how to say enough is enough? A sniper who would not be satisfied with due process for two black men killed by police this week, kills five police officers. They were doing their jobs, keeping the peace in Dallas, 
so citizens there might exercise their right to free assembly and free speech. He traded justice for revenge. He traded freedom for fear. Do we even know how to say enough is enough? Multiple suicides that impact our church family happen in very personal ways in the span of just a few weeks. Do we even know how to say enough is enough? Another marriage ends because of infidelity. They weren't satisfied with what their spouse was was giving to them. Do we even know how to say enough is enough? We're not satisfied with someone else holding a different religious or political position than we do. We're not satisfied with plurality or difference or otherness. And so we demonize and ostracize and criticize and humiliate the other. Do we even know how to say enough is enough? 200 plus children, 200 plus children at Snapfinger Elementary School, a school that we partner with as a congregation, 200 kids in that school are homeless, are homeless. Do we even know how to say enough is enough? If anyone should be able to say it, The church should. The church has a mandate to say it. Enough is enough. So why am I not saying it? Why aren't we saying it? If our individual sin is pleonexia, then maybe the church's corporate sin is anorexia. Linguistically, these two concepts are deeply connected to each other in their original definitions. Whereas pleonexia is the inability to be satisfied, anorexia, classically defined, is the inability to be hungry. It's the inability to be hungry. And maybe the church just isn't hungry anymore. Maybe the church in North America has lost its hunger and thirst for righteousness. Maybe maybe we've traded our vocation in the world as ambassadors of the gospel, bearers of peace and light. Maybe we've traded that in for a focus on institutional survival and cloistered safety. Maybe we're fine. We're just fine with perpetuating rituals and habits that make us feel good, but don't actually make us good or produce any good in the world. Maybe we lack the hunger God possesses for a world that in the words of Revelation 21 has no more death, has no more pain, has no more crying. Maybe our individual Pleonexia has given birth to an ecclesial anorexia. We have focused our attention on building bigger barns, and we have neither the time, nor the stamina, nor the interest 
to collectively be hungry for that which God hungers for. This has to change. Church, I believe we, we must be hungry for love patterned in the way of Jesus Christ. We must be hungry for prayer. We must be hungry for God's word. We must be hungry for forgiveness. We must be hungry for justice and peace. We must be hungry for reconciliation. We must be hungry for lament and compassion in the shadow of a broken world. We must be hungry for wholeness and healing. We must be hungry for our own purpose and our own call in the kingdom of God. We will only learn to develop that hunger once we learn the meaning of enough. Once we're freed from our pleonexia, once we accept that God is enough, that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is enough, that the Holy Spirit's presence in your life and my life right now is enough. Once we are satisfied with God, only then will we start hungering after what God is hungry for. I don't know about you, but right now in this season, not just in the shadow of this week, but in this longer season, it feels as if the church's soul is being demanded of us right now. It feels like we're playing the role of the rich landowner, and our life is required of us now. Will we be found spending our energy on building bigger barns for ourselves? Or will we focus our attention on being rich toward God? Will that abundance of a life lived with God and a trust of God create in us a hunger for what God hungers for? Will we claim our voice and declare against racism and revenge, against the lack of care and compassion for those suffering in mental illness, against homelessness, against infidelity, against violence of all kinds, against materialism and greed, will we declare enough is enough? We must, for the sake of the gospel, and the sake of the world. Amen.
God's grace is sufficient. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is sufficient. The Holy Spirit's abiding presence with us right now and in the days ahead is sufficient. We have enough. May we learn to hunger after that which God hungers for. May we learn to say in the midst of a broken and hurting world, enough is enough. May we live in such a way that brings the messages of God in the flesh, that bears witness to the kingdom, a kingdom of peace. And may the peace of that kingdom, which is the very peace of Christ, guard your hearts and your minds in Him. May His peace live inside of you this day and every day of your life.